Hi, my name is Lainey Steinhardt, and you're listening to Texas Tasty's 512 Degrees, where we talk to chefs, musicians, influencers, and foodies alike about their lives. During our podcast, you'll hear interviews with our guests, and towards the end, you'll hear a groovy zap indicating our finishing lightning round of questions. Our guest today was the Senior Creative Director of the Biden-Harris Presidential Campaign. Our guest went on to lead a design team that created logos that were strong, bold, and unifying in a way that didn't break with tradition. Now, our guest has founded their own remote design studio called Studio Gradients. Without further ado, our guest today is Robin Kanner. Thank you so much for joining me today. Just for audience members who may not know, can you just introduce yourself and explain to everyone who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Robin Kanner. Uh, I am a um, creative director and uh, founder of a little studio called Studio Gradients. Um, we were born out of the Biden-Harris campaign, um, where I was also uh, the creative director for that. So cool. I did a little bit of Instagram stalking, for sure, before this uh, this podcast. And wow, some of the work you've done is so incredible. But we're going to deep dive into that. So where do you feel that your creative side comes from? Um, question. I think it's probably just from being, you know, I grew up in Maine, like deep in the woods, and was sort of like left of center. Like I never sort of fit in the right boxes. And I think when you like have a hard time expressing yourself as a kid, um, you turn to, to something that gets it out. And some people turn to sports, some people turn to writing. Like I just turned to, to creating things and making art. And, and I felt like that was the thing that captured um, what I wanted to say and, and that I had sort of like the skill set to, to make in that arena too. I feel like I have to say congratulations. I'm sure it must feel great to know that so much of your hard work paid off with this campaign. Uh, yeah. How'd you get your start in the Biden-Harris um, campaign? Uh, I sent an email to a man named Rob Flaherty. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it actually started in Texas, funny enough. I joined Beto O'Rourke's uh, primary race um, in 2019, and um, uh, this guy Rob was the digital director over there, and uh, Jenna Malley Dillon was our, our campaign manager. And um, you know, I really loved working with Rob and Jen, and um, I sort of felt a kinship over the work that we were doing in El Paso for for Beto. And um, you know, when it wrapped up, I, I just didn't want to be finished. Like I, I felt like we had so much more to to accomplish and like, I always felt like with like a little bit more budget or a little bit more something, you know, we could have done something, you know, different. And, you know, the Biden campaign gave us that opportunity where it was like, okay, we trust each other. We know each other really well. We can we can go in and, um, you know, bring the same mentality into this flow and, um, and make the stuff that we want to make. Um, so yeah, very fortunate because it, it felt like Biden, you know, it felt like round two. I, I always sort of camp, I, I compared the campaigns to Rocky films, um, <laughs> specifically, uh, to Rocky three. And, um, you know, the primary felt like the, the first battle with, with Rocky and Clever Lang where, where Rocky takes the L, but, the general election was all about getting that revenge W. Um, so we got it with Biden and uh, it, felt, it felt real good. Wow, I love that. I think uh, one thing college has really taught, I'm, I'm currently a sophomore at University oh, of Texas. And one one of the best advice I've received from my professors is that networking is like the best thing um, yes. to get anywhere in the world. And I find it so amazing that it really, you started, you know, 
your topic off of saying, you know, I sent an email because yeah. that's really where we are in today's day and age. So that's how you can really get to these positions. So I love that. So many of your logos were bold and unifying. I design referred to your work on the campaign as bold, traditional, and trippy in the future of politics. Yeah. Why do you feel these graphics appeal to more of a broader range of generations? Um, good question. I think I think it's a couple things. Um, you know, one of the things that I really liked about our campaign's creative is that we created buckets um, and sort of systemized things. So, like, you know, we had our main Biden-Harris logo, which you saw on campaign signs, and they were everywhere. But, you know, we also made these other versions um, for, like, an Instagram for Vote Joe, which had, like, a, you know, sort of youthful look to it. And then we had, you know, other sort of situations that we would apply things to. Um, so I, I found us, like, not living in this what I call like Paul Rand graphic design where everything is like the logo is like king and important. Like it was all about sort of creating buckets and patterns and, and systems. And it was almost like, um, it was almost like a sports team, right? Like a sports team has like home jerseys, away jerseys, and then like a city edition Jersey and bringing that mentality into politics gave us space to create like a really broad coalition of people to, to get interested in, in the work. So, you know, we had our home dresses, which was like really traditional Biden Harris, like, you know, um, strong typography, strong colors, but then we would do like a city edition Jersey with, you know, Bojo and it would be like crazy colors influenced by, you know, Woodstock to Travis Scott, to, <laughs> you know, um, to, to sort of tie dye culture to everything, you know, they would have our away jerseys, which was anytime we were doing oppo uh, against the, the Trump campaign. So um, having those little buckets there, like really gave us space to play and explore and, and reach like a really broad coalition of people. I love how you put uh, Woodstock, Travis Scott and Biden in, in the same sentence there, because that's so yeah. funny. Um, it's really true. Uh, I think you did an excellent job with that. How would you say, you know, what what is your creative process like? Did any of it have to change due to the pandemic? Um, yes and no. Uh, you know, I had been freelancing since I was like fifteen, so I kind of understood the the feeling of like wake up and just like roll over out of bed and start making things. Like I'd been doing that since you know I was really young, so that was that was pretty static. That that was pretty traditional for me, but. Building a team was definitely harder. Um, and it also allowed for some really great things too. Like it was harder to build a team remotely because you're trying to like get to know each other and get to understand the vibes of how you work. But, um, you know, separately, like, you know, working with people who had families, it was actually a lot better because like, it wasn't like they were at an office for 20 hours a day then going home and seeing their kids for three hours. Like, like being remote actually gave them a chance to be with their with their families, which I, I thought was really great for building a team. Um, it also allowed us to, to hire, you know, pretty broad. Like I could bring in somebody who was living in California and didn't feel like I had to move them to a specific city. Like they could just be there and do their job. So I really loved that it opened up our, our talent pool um, around that too. So yeah, it changed a couple things on, you know, maybe how we communicate, what tools we use, but you know, what I took away from it was was how great it was to just be able to work with anybody anywhere and like not be tied down by like a physical location. I love how you're looking at the optimistic side of this. And yeah. that's a trait I love seeing in people because it's I think especially after the pandemic and during it, I think we really have to look at the positives of everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm loving how you're taking, you know, the opportunity of not being together as a way of being like, you know, I can bring people from all over the country to really help out. Yeah, yeah. We had one of our one of our Oppo designers, um, uh, Julian, um, actually lives in in Amsterdam. He lives in the, the Netherlands, but he's a United States citizen. And you know, he would have never moved back to the states for the campaign, but because it was remote, you know, he was able to do it. And like he had like a sort of like a funky sleep schedule. But you know, what was really great was, you know, to hire the right people for the the right roles is almost like it's almost like putting like a puzzle together and you need like specific people to do specific things and Julian had just like a, a really great approach to thinking about how Trump should be framed and, and how that we should you know visually execute that and um, he was the perfect person to, to execute it and um, you know being remote gave us the chance to, to work together and you know had this been in person we wouldn't have been able to do it so um, yeah it had some some huge upsides. I've read that you think of yourself as a designer in the traditional sense, but instead you call yourself a storyteller, which I love. Yeah. And I can so see that in your work. Why do you see design as a way to tell stories? It's the first thing that I've learned to do. And it's the thing that comes very natural to me. Um, but, you know, I do see creating things in a way that um, shouldn't feel like it's, it's put within limits or in a box or anything. So, by saying storytelling, it gives me space to write, to do TV, to do film, to, to basically make anything that I want. And like, it doesn't limit me to just design, even though I feel very fluent in design. It's sort of like how um, Donald Glover talked about making, you know, because the internet, right? Like, yeah, it's an album, but it's a world. Like he, he built a world, he built like a, you know, a live show that was, you know, sort of immersive, an app that was a immersive thing. He wrote a screenplay around it. Like, there's all these internet pieces to it. Like, he built this world, and the 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 invitation was to to join that world and to experience it. And sure, he's a musician, but like, the exciting thing was to go into the world. So I always try to do that with my stuff. Where, you know, I never just want to be, you know, a designer. I want to create these worlds for people to inhabit and um yeah that's that's the sweet spot for me you initially studied history at old college before taking art classes at the university of maine at farmington and the university of minnesota um i find that really interesting kind of like full circle because i'm sure you must have had to use you know some form of history when applied to this campaign yeah oh yeah i mean I was a you know I was a real bad student. Um, I'm actually uh, I'm actually a college dropout. I, I never finished school, um, which is really funny because I'm, I'm actually I'm like a visiting professor at two different schools right now. But I never finished my actual degree. Like I I like my senior year, like I wrapped up some classes and then went on tour. Um, so you know I never had done anything the way that you're supposed to do it. Like there's you know I guess like less so now than it was ten years ago, but like. There used to be like these rules around like, you know, you go to high school and you do really well and you go to college and you spend four years doing that and then you get a job and like whatever. And like, I just could never follow those traditional paths. And, you know, for me, like, you know, I graduated high school early and then went to a community college and took a history class and like really enjoyed it. But you know, also really wanted to make art. So I, you know, I studied art at Farmington, you know, did a student exchange program in Minnesota and like, you know, I've gone to like four different colleges without a degree. And like, 
to me, like the, the piece of paper was always irrelevant. It was always like what I was learning and, and how I could use it. And, you know, like, no, I don't have like a, a piece of paper that says I'm smart or whatever, but like what school did give me is like the right books to read and, you know, the right films to watch and the right sort of people to, to talk to. And, you know, for that, I'm, I'm really, really thankful. And, um, you know, so with the, the history side of things, like, you know, there's so much research on this campaign around, like, you know, how Reagan did his design or what worked really well for Jimmy Carter, or how, you know, what was the climate during JFK's reign or, you know, how Trump was like manifesting a lot of sort of Nixon-esque points or, you know, what Obama did in 08 or Hillary did in 16. There's all this sort of history of, of visual to, to read into. And um, I think, you know, the way that I got into that was just being curious, you know, it was just like, you know, spending nights being like, okay, well, how is this done? You know, what did they do? Why did that work? What was happening, you know, historically around that period? So, you know, you always have to ask yourself these really broad questions of like, you know, what was happening exactly in the world that this thing worked? And how do I recreate that? And, you know, so much of it is just like history knowledge and just the curiosity to ask the questions of like, how and, and why something is. Yeah. I, I would certainly sit there and uh, hear you give a lecture on that topic. In yeah. class, oh my God. Wait, wow. That's so incredible. Um, yeah. It's an interesting uh, point of view of history for sure. Yeah. I had read that uh, you had 43 minutes in between finding out the VP yeah. pick and creating content to announce it. What yeah. were those 43 minutes like? Oh, chaos. Um, <laughs> you know, we had done um, a few weeks of prep leading up to those 43 minutes. Um, uh, I'm a big sort of, you know, to go back to Rocky, it's like you got to train before you can go into the fight. So, you know, we did a lot of training. And, you know, one of the things that the, I had the team do, Sir Piranha and I worked on together was, you know, this idea for, for debates, we ran like like five different mock debates. So, you know, we really knew what to do when we got to game time. And it was very similar to the VP rollout. Like, you know, I, I feel like there was like a, a ton of lead up coming to knowing it was Harris. Um, but I had designed with, with Jonathan Heffler, who was a typographer, um, about, you know, 10 to 15 different candidates locked up with, with the Biden name. So I had answered a lot of questions prior to those 43 minutes. So, you know, once we knew what it was, like, it was very clear what had to happen. Like, there was no sort of questions. Like, it was like, great, now we're going to execute on this thing. Like, I'd, we'd already, like, solved the creative, Rob, and I knew what things were going to look like. We just didn't know, like, how it was going to fit in, like, an act blue wrapper or how long the server was going to take to update versus the text message that was going to go out. So kind of wing that stuff. And, um uh, you make sure like the podium is set up and there's all these sort of components that, that come into to play here. So, you know, we had done, you know, an, a pretty strong job on, on just prepping that between the, the digital team. Like, you know, Rob was there, Maida was there, Alok was there, like um, every everybody was, was connected. Sarah was there, Andrew was there. Like we all, like all of us were connected and we knew exactly what was what was happening. So um, we had the benefit of, of practice. So you know, those 43 minutes, the, there really wasn't any questions of how to do something. It was just like, 
here's what we're going to do. Step A done, step B, okay, step C, this person's good, I'm good, great. Um, so a lot of practice makes perfect. Um, a lot of trusting Rob, um, just just leaning on the team, yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So crazy, but so chaotic and in, in, in the best way possible as I would feel. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, you are the founder of Studio Gradients. Um, yeah. I've seen the graphics you guys have put out. I have to say, I hope I'm pronouncing uh, their name right. Uh, Nate Orsini Pasco was especially great. Oh, um, my tip. Yeah. My tip Orsini Pasco. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. So, so good and powerful. Thanks. Uh, what inspired you uh, to start your own remote agency? Um, I didn't want a boss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of it. Um, you know, before the campaign, I had spent a lot of time in tech. Like, yeah, I'd worked at Google for a while. I worked at Amazon. Um, I, I just, I didn't want to go backwards. I just wanted to move forwards. And, you know, a thing that I learned within the campaign was like, I, I personally work really well when like people around me create space for things to happen. And um, uh, in a studio, you're able to create that space for other people, which is really exciting. And it also like, you know, you sort of are mission driven. You can make your own thing and you can say what you, whatever you want to say. And like that stuff was just really exciting. So like, you know, um, as opposed to going back into to tech and, having a boss or like taking another job in politics, I just kind of felt like, well, I just want to do a little bit of everything and I, I don't want to be limited by the, the world around me. So, you know, having a studio gives us the chance to, you know, do a campaign in, in Chile for, for Maita or launch a governor's race for, for Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania. Or, you know, we recently did like a redesign for this FinTech company where we were able to, you know, blow up like monitors for, for, uh, old like sort of 90s monitors and we lit phones on fire and we were able to play with texture and like got to learn a little bit about the finance world and how that moves so you know we're doing season two of studio ingredients right now which is going to be dropping soon and like that includes like a fashion component so like I, I just want to make everything and and having a studio and and working with the the folks around me Eric Asia Jasmine and Anna like um, it just, that just creates space for us to, to make work. So, um, yeah, not being limited by stuff and, um, not wanting to have a boss, but also, you know, wanting to, to, to make all this work. Like, uh, sometimes like having a studio is the, the best and only way you can, can make that happen. Well, I'm very excited uh, to see the work that you guys are going to be putting out. So far, it's been amazing. And like I said before, so powerful. I've done a little bit of research and I noticed that you have an interesting section on your Instagram where you rate your favorite type of apple um, all the way at the bottom of Instagram. (laughs) Um, So I have to ask, what is your favorite type of apple? Uh, honey crisp. I used to live in New Jersey, yeah. and the one thing I miss is apple picking. So yeah. I think we nailed it with the honey crisp. That's that honey was my crisp favorite. Is a perfect apple. Yeah, the the apples were so funny. I have a friend Sam who's like a big big fan of the apples. Sam and Sean both are big supporters of the apple content. I think about bringing the apples back all the time because it's such a special special moment. But you know, after after Beto's campaign, I was like. I was crashing on my friend Amy's couch and um, I remember it was Thanksgiving and I, I 
had nowhere to go. I was in the middle of New York. I was just like sort of hanging out there and I stopped by this grocery store and I was like, what's Thanksgiving? I guess I'm just going to eat an apple. So I like grabbed an apple from the store and then like took a photo of it. I think it was a Spencer apple. And I wrote this sort of like Thanksgiving love letter to this apple. And <laughs> then I just found it to be really funny. And for the next like three months, I only posted apples and uh, then, uh, then I let it go. But I, yeah, I, I, I've sort of done these these weird patterns of like apples or poetry or I, I for a while I was posting like this one photo of Jonah Hill um, <laughs> in a hot dog suit. So yeah, it everything has its moments, but I feel like the apples were really special. <laughs> uh, texting or calling? Uh, calling. What would you say is your favorite day of the week? Um. Um, you know, I love a Monday. I really do. I love a, 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 you know, I really like the weekend to rest and recover, but Monday where you're like fully in the world again and you're getting things done, I, I, I really do like a Monday. So yeah, Monday. What would you say is your favorite childhood TV show? I have a few. Uh, really big fan of Dawson's Creek. Um, love Dawson's Creek. Uh, also really big fan of Boy Meets World. Uh, so good. Which um, is a funny campaign tidbit, but uh, on the campaign, I, I brought in various like actors and, and writers and directors in to, to help us think through some of the, the work that we were doing. And um, Ryder Strong, who played uh, Sean Hunter in Boy Meets World, uh, was one of them. And um, yeah, Ryder came in and, and talked to the, the full team about you know, how he approaches script writing and, you know, how like authenticity plays a role in, in campaign creative. And there were many times on the campaign that I emailed the writer and I was like, what do you think of this? What's going on? Like, like, how are you processing this stuff? Because it was just so great to get like an actor's perspective on this, this creative. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I was just like, that's John Hunter, man. What a, what a, <laughs> But super, super smart writers. It was amazing to be able to work with them. Yeah. Wow, that is a really good tidbit. And yeah. really cool that you got to, you know, interact with like a favorite childhood TV show actor. Not many people yeah. feel like can say that. Yeah, he's a good one. I I never talked to him about Boy Meets World because I was like, I don't want to be that girl. But like, I just, I, I really appreciated how he approached script writing. Um, and uh, I, I really love talking with him. So yeah, fun little Boy Meets World fact. <laughs> do you prefer sunrise or sunsets mm, sunrises for sure that sort of leads into my monday thing like i like beginnings more than i like ends oh i love that when you're not working how do you like to spend your time i really like to play madden um with my friends uh my friends and i are really competitive about madden we have like an excel spreadsheet that we were really into and like we run seasons and stuff um uh, I I have I have a weekly Zoom poker game that I play with some friends too. That's it's really exciting, especially during the pandemic. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd constantly, um, watching new films. Uh, and uh, if I'm lucky, I play some music with friends, things like that. Yeah. Halloween is coming up. Do you have a favorite Halloween movie? Oh, good question. I don't know if I do. Uh, I'm not a big Halloween person. I'm much bigger of a, like a Christmas person. I'm a huge Christmas person. Um, Halloween. Uh, I'm not sure if I do have a Halloween movie though. Uh, Ooh, I have yeah. a follow up then. 
Yeah. Uh, do you feel The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Good question. I think it's a Christmas movie. I think everything is a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, I, I love Christmas. It's like the, the holiday season is like my favorite time of any year. December is like my favorite month. I love that like people who are generally Scrooges like open doors for people and stuff. Like the actual Christmas day I can take or leave, but the feeling and the moods like leading up to Christmas is like my, my favorite time. I agree. It's my favorite time too. Yeah. Uh, my final lightning round question is, where is your favorite place to be? Um, probably Maine, uh, in, in Portland, Maine. Um, uh, I grew up in a little town called Fairfield, Maine, but I, I always consider Portland my home. And, um, you know, I get to go back a couple times a year and it, it always like brings me a, a bunch of joy. Um, so, yeah, Portland, Maine is Portland's main home. Yeah, that's the one. Awesome. Well, before um, we end this call, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to or anything else you'd like to add? Thank you to Frank Ocean. Good job with Homer. I think about it all the time. Um, that's that's only one shout out. <laughs> that's an awesome. I think that's one of the best shout outs I've gotten so far throughout yeah. the series of my podcast. Just I like, also would like to give a shout out to Frank Ocean. Pretty thankful for his artistry, and uh, I thought the rollout for Homer was was beautiful. The, the pieces that he made were, were really beautiful. And Alexander McQueen, just like Lee McQueen, you're number one in my book. Miss you. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining me today. I had such a great time talking to you, and I'm really excited to see the new designs you put out um, with Studio Gradients. Um, I think it's just going to be incredible. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to see more from Robin Canner, you can follow at Robin Canner on Instagram and Twitter, and you can check out at Studio Gradients. If you enjoyed today's episode, give us a follow at The Texas Tasty on Instagram and Twitter. Upcoming episodes and more can be found wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lainey Steinhardt signing off.